Thanks for keeping it locked at Take It Personal Radio. And now, here's our interview with hip-hop legend Redman on Take It Personal Radio. Yo, Take It Personal. You're checking out Take It Personal with my fam. Yeah, yeah, y'all. Checking out the Take It Personal Radio show. Yeah, yeah. It's your boy Foul Monch. You already know what it is. Right now, you're checking out the Take It Personal show. Nothing but the real hip-hop. Hip-hop. The way it should be. Should be. Yo, what's up? This is Cool Keith, a.k.a. Dr. Octagon, and you're checking out Take It Personal with my DJ 360. DJ 360. Full cypher for that ass. Now, for that ass. Now, now, now I'm cool with my man. Kevlar, Kevlar, Kevlar. And my man. My, 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 my man. My man. My man. They playing nothing but that authentic classical boom bap shit. Check check them out. Check them out. Check them out. Check, check it out. out. This is Marco Polo. Yo, check this out. It's the Soul Brother Number One, Pete Rock. This is DJ Premier. You're live and direct through the speaker. And you checking out? Take it personal. Take it personal. What up though? This is Merce. This is DJ Muggs from Tiger Seal. This is Dell, the funky homo sapien. You are checking out Take It Personal. And introducing in this corner, A-A-Rock. The one they call Aaron Wade. Yeah, chilling with my people. And over there, Roger D announcer. That's it. No no famous. That's it. Roger D announcer. Take It Personal. With my people spinning that fly shit. You heard? Hip hop, stay winning. Yeah. Mr. Noble? Yes, sir. How you doing, man? This is Jason. Jason, what's the word? How you doing, boss? Pretty good, man. Are you in Florida now, or are you coming down tomorrow? Uh, no, I'm coming down tomorrow. Okay. The weather's nice. Are you be here all this weekend, or just in and out? Uh, just for one day, then I'm out to Cali. Out to Cali, okay. So let me just give you a quick background. Are you home or anything? I don't want to eat up too much of your time tonight. But just wanted to give you a breakdown of what this show's about. We actually had E on. A few uh, a few weeks ago, so it's pretty good timing that we're getting you now. Um, he's in Africa, otherwise he would have been on the show tonight. But we just want to have fun. A bunch of loose guys in our forties grew up listening to you, and 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 honestly, this is a it, it's been an honor to uh, to have someone like you on. So I appreciate you you giving us your time tonight. Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to hold on, call from my phone. Yeah, I need to get to me something to eat. But yeah, go ahead, shoot. You want to get some food real quick? I mean, we're not on a time schedule, so to speak. So if you want me to call you in like 10 minutes, we could do that. Or You know what? Um, I want you to be, you know, full and content so then we, we can chop it up and have some fun. All right, cool. So you know what? Hit me back in five minutes and I, I'll be, uh, I'm going to just order the food and, and I'll hit you right back and let you know what I got to go because I got to go pick it up and stuff. But yeah, I want to get this done for you guys tonight. So I appreciate it, man. Well, you take us in the car with you. We'll, 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 we'll go on the joyride together. Hey, get me number four. Oh, that's what's up, shit. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't no number four spot. This some good-ass food right here. Oh, all right, all right. Let me hit you guys back in like five minutes. Let me place this order. You got it. That's all right, word. All right. Yeah. You good? Uh, Yeah, I just got to go pick it up in a little bit, but let's see. Yeah. You had some boot camp clicks uh, you, were, you were a part of. As far as what? Uh, you look more fit. You look more health conscious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, shit, my uh, my health is my wealth is older. I'm I'm getting man. Like I can't fuck around out here. <laughs> I cannot fuck around. When did you uh, come to that realization? Like, yo, I gotta get in shape. Um, you know what? I started really focusing on getting in shape when I was turned like 27. Cause like half my 
my first couple of albums and since I was a teenager, I was baby fat. I had I had fat on me. I had that kid fat. I still had kid fat on me till I was like like 27, 28. Until I started slimming down and you know, around muddy waters. Muddy waters is actually where I started like trimming down. That's why I had the white beater on in muddy waters and shit. And I still had a lot of shaping up to do. But I felt good about myself being getting in shape on Muddy Waters album. Yeah, you can definitely tell on the cover. Now, dude, with all that weed, how do you not get heavy from eating hella snacks? Um, it's it, because once you're once you're a fish, you smoker. Like I'm, I I don't smoke weed. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a weed connoisseur. You've mastered your high. It's not even about mastering the high because that's one of the requirements of becoming like a real affiliate of marijuana. It's about it's a way of life. Like you, you might snack out at a certain point in period when you're smoking at night. You might have a little snacks, but it don't affect affect you from getting high. I mean, from getting fat and and because it's like my metabolism is fast as well, so I can drop weight quick. I, I think like getting high and, and having the munchies is something like a, a, a young thing now. You know, a master smoker controls the the eating habits, the highness, the level of respect and talk when it comes to people. It, it, it's all in one. It's it's all in one. Learn from the greats, Cheech and Chong. Hello. Hello. <laughs> well, there's so much we want to ask you. So we even didn't do a, a proper intro, but. For those that are listening, this is none other than Reggie Noble. Are we on the air now? We're we, we on the air. This is, this is right, man. This is Funk Dr. Spock. Oh, that's what sucks. We just found out we were going to get you like 30 minutes ago. So I was racking my brain of, of all my favorite rappers. And, and there's like seven dudes here at a round table right now interviewing you. And I think oh, I, wow. can, I can speak for all of them. <laughs> all of us when I say you are among our top five, top ten list of greatest rappers of all time. For sure. You know, but I was rattling off all the rappers that I liked. And then I was rattling off out of those rappers that are likable. And I have to say this. You are the most likable rapper that has ever done it. Mr. Redman. <laughs> you know? Thank you. And you're still having fun with this shit. That's like the most important part. You That's know what, what I mean? oozes out. It's your personality, your charisma, the, your, your self-deprecation. You are the epitome of what, uh, uh, you know, when you say you want to drink with somebody or, or in your case, smoke with someone. That, that's you. Or even say, like, what hip-hop's about. I mean, Reggie encompasses the, Everything. Whole, the whole thing. You are the most likable dude. So there, there you go, my man. Hey, man, that's what's up, man. Because you know what? I, I I appreciate you guys noticing that balance of my career. Because I work hard for that shit. I work hard to be that guy that can roam in the richest of the riches and be around the tops of the circle and still get respected and then still be at with the lowest and have not and still be respected the same way. I love that balance, that middle balance I have. Yeah. And, and I think you do it well. There, I was saying before the interview, there are a few rappers, very few, that have been able to come out the gate with like three classics, cross over, do the whole Hollywood thing or movies, if you will. And I think it's honestly you and Ice Cube. You, you two were able to master that balance where you could, like you said, you could get on track with Tame, or you you can get on the track with Snoop, and and you still represent what everybody here at the table wants to see in a lyricist. Tame, ooh, wee. Oh, I, I know Miss, I know Mrs. Darlene. Come on, I go way back from Mr. Harris. 
So, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, man. Uh-huh. You got you got the right show tonight, baby. Yeah, man. Uh-huh. That's right. We're not a bunch right. of rookies. Right. <laughs> Good shit, brother. Yeah. So, so from all of us, thank you for being consistent. Thank you for being for true and doing doing what you like to do because it resonates with with the fans and and certainly us at the table. But before we we even get into this whole thing, I gotta ask, man. We all know how it all began. You know, we all remember the joints with EPMD. But what the album, did you know it was going to have the impact it did when you first released it? Um, no. Uh, I, I kind of did a little bit because of where I came from, the crew I came from. Mm-hmm. But the impact, I didn't know because, as you know, the hit squad was breaking up when I dropped my album. So yep. I didn't really get that full impact like Dice Effects got mm. of the support and the, and the touring and everything. So that's what I was worrying about on the business side. But as far as listeners, I kind of knew because for some reason I got a great ear for listening to what's going on out here and what's needed. I always had that kind of ear. So I knew like an album like mine on it from the East Coast was kind of needed from my perspective. And I kind of knew I was going to catch some ears like, wow, okay, this guy did his album different just for me loving hip hop and tuning into everyone else shit. So I was like, I got something different going on here. I got something that's kind of Ice Cube influenced. One of these motherfuckers different. Because Ice Cube is one of my mentors so I learned from. Right. I got something that's kind of Ice Cube influenced on the East Coast. No one is doing skits and shit really on the East Coast over here. So I knew I had something over here with my album. As far as the impact, without the Hit Squad support, I didn't really think it'd do what it do. At that, at that particular time, I mean, everyone knows the success. And, you know, when, when someone does well, we say, you know, it was kind of easy for them. But is there any early stages of, like, the come up that was, like, real difficult where you, you know, you can kind of spread on to the listeners where they say, you know, gee, it wasn't that fucking easy for Reggie. I mean, he had to, uh, you know, really work, work, work the channel, so to speak. Oh, fuck yeah. Hey, man, look, like, uh... As far as me getting on, I wanted to be a DJ. I started off as a DJ. For the Lord. And I started rocking at 16. Like, I actually seen myself as someone DJ back in the day before I got on. Um, way before I got on. Until I started, because I was DJing for Do It All Do. I'm Lord to the Underground. And I had some bars. And I said, wow, okay. I spit my bars for a couple of people and they liked it. So I was like, maybe I could do both. So that's what I started doing. But as far as getting on uh, officially through the game, yes, um, I can actually say like I, my boy Diesel Don, which he had the first Wu-Tang, it was called the Revolutionary Posse of Terrorists, RPT. We was like the first hit squad, Wu-Tang, all, all rappers like all together in one group. And we was, we was doing our own little tours through Jersey and New York here and there. And... He actually took me to Def Jam way before I met E. Way before I met E. And I ran into, uh, not Kenny Lee, I think it was Big D. Big D was on uh, on uh, on the first Def Jam when he was on, uh, fuck, what's that? Uh, uh, what's that street? God damn it. Before 7th Avenue. Before 7th yeah, Avenue. Yeah, I think they were on Prince Street or... 
down in Soho, right? Yes, Prince Street or begins with an I or something. I forgot. Sorry, Def Jam, I smoked. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, he brought me there, and third base was popping at the time. Mm. And Big D came down to the car, listened to the demo, and he was like, "Yo, your shit is bumping, but." You know, we looking for something like a third base or something like that. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, and through along that trail is when I ran into EPMD, got kicked out my pop's house selling drugs, went to go live with E. Um, and even then, I still didn't get on. I had to work. I had to, uh, you know, carry bags and, you know, be on the road with EPMD. And I had like maybe like three minutes on stage. But when I was in that three minutes, I was, in other words, I would like to tell the young fans that's working out there that it wasn't an easy role, but I was the kind of dude that loved the grind, that knew I was definitely going on. So I could say it was more of a motivational thing and confidence what got me on, what made me love the struggle because I knew the struggle was going to pay off. A lot of people just work without having a positive ending or, or bringing it into existence that this work I'm going to do is going to pay off. And that, that, that work actually is, is the pain and the expression that comes through in the music. That's what a lot of, of the young folks don't get. Yes, exactly. And I knew that my, my struggle and my grind was, was going to have a great execution. So I was happy of, of you know doing paying my dues. I was happy about it. I was I was enjoying it. I was I was loving being the the the, the underground nigga. The, the you know I was loving that because I knew my outcome was going to be great. For example, like EPMD used to bring me out on a tour. This was before I came out. They used to bring me out for three minutes. The five minutes was Scratch. And when me and Scratch hit that motherfucking stage in the intermission of they show. I used to body that motherfucking crowd so bad, <laughs> so bad that it was some night that EPMD told me I, I couldn't go out. Eric could tell you, he'd, he'd be like, nah, you're not coming out with that shit tonight. <laughs> you are not coming out with that shit tonight. And I was like, yo, even Scratch even knew I had something going. I knew how to make music and I knew how to do things to attract the crowd. And that's one of the qualities of being an artist is, is not just having a gang of rhymes, but actually having rhymes that you can spark the crowd with, that you can actually relate to with the crowd and they getting you and they seeing your struggle and they hearing you on that mic body in it with, with punchlines and shit. So I was enjoying that. I was, enjoying enjoying that moment of my life so well even biz marky biz marky used to take me around in battle that's when i that's when i first got my uh my real signature at the monticello park on the bar stretch of barbito show if y'all know your homework that's where okay. i really got my my uh my just do as well mm -hmm. um i was supposed to battle at monticello park in queens and it didn't, the guy didn't show up or didn't want to battle or whatever. So I just started barring up on the mic. And someone recorded it and took the tape to Park, sent the tape to Barbito. And, that, and he played that shit. The stretching Barbito played that tape the whole summer. And motherfuckers was wondering, who the fuck is this guy, Redman? Who the fuck is this guy, Redman? And uh, I, got my, I got my placement through there as well. But overall, guys, 
the uh, what I could tell young artists is love your struggle. Be proud of your struggle. Be proud of your grind. You know, accept it, but also bring into existence that the grind is going to pay off. Don't when you get when you at that time I wasn't giving a fuck about damn this shit might not work. I ain't have that that in my existence. There was not none of that in my existence. The patience, everything I had. I, if I had to go longer, I wouldn't have gave a fuck because I loved what I was doing at the time and knew that it was going to pay off. So I loved the grind and I had patience and I was very much aware of where I was going. So I had no doubt in my mind of, damn, this is taking too long or the the, the crutchemas of what an artist go through, a young artist, a new artist might say, you know, well, this ain't happening for me. Let me try to balance something else. Let me get me a job over here. No, it won't work. If you put your all into it, that's what you're going to get out of it. So I hope I ain't take long on that answer. No, that's no, in fact. In fact, I got a question off of all that. So you're talking about your your drive and the struggle and everything you were going through to make you hungrier and just more determined to fucking wreck this rap shit like you have. Taking it back to 1992, if my history is correct, right? You're recording what the album. When you completed recording Time for Some Action and you sat down and listened to the final master of that song, was that your moment internally? Like, yep, I did it. I fucking got him. Let's get time for some In this corner, we have to funk body snatch up. We funk the delegate that got you. Hard enough that I could chew a whole back of rock. To an avenue, to an off street and off block. To turn around and do the same damn thing to a solo. Cause Reggie Noble's pissed. I crushed the whole brain frame. Cause you couldn't maintain the funk. They have your rap style for lunch, jump. Cause 92, I take a whole crew. Give them a put to the funk. Not all of them go too loose. I'll show you what type of stuff I'm on. You can't puff or sniff it. Because I was born with it. The Bocadella devil hit you with the rap level of 10. The one, two, three, you pin. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, um, uh, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was. But then again, when I did Time for the Action, uh, Cypress Hill was hot at that time. And I had problems with getting that sample. Oh, really? <laughs> it, it was a big thing. Like, you know, they, you know, uh, Rough House, I think that was, if, I was, if I'm not correct. Yeah. Uh, what they was on. Uh, they was like, wait a minute. Cypress Hill just put this record out. You know, no, we we cannot clear that. And they went back and forth, and but I finally got the sample, the time time for them. That was that was big. But overall, when I did the record, honestly, I didn't say yeah, I made it. Not yet. Honestly, I didn't say I really made it until I really did like muddy waters. Really? Wow. See, that's crazy because I've seen you go on record talk about how you. You really don't even listen to Dare's a dark side. Whereas, I'm not going to speak for everyone at the table. That's my favorite album. Yeah, you can yours. speak for everyone at the table. Oh, that's, really? that's the that's album. If I if I will, you know, just be blunt. That is to me your magnum opus when it comes to it. It was just uh, an album that in '94 when, when every fucking week had a classic album. This was yet another one. This was at the top of the list. I mean, this stood the test of time. I mean, both lyrically, production wise. But you were. You've been pretty open about this. This this was not a good time in your life. So it goes back to what you were saying with the grind. Everyone has highs and lows, but on your personal lows, sometimes you make the best music. Yes. The thing is, uh, why I said it, it wasn't my best time because I don't know. Like I, I was, I was experimenting with acid and everything, and, <laughs> uh, and I had to get my faith in order. 
um, my, 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 myself, my heart in order, uh, where I wanted to go. And I produced most of that album too. Like I produced majority of that album. Mm. And, and it's and dark. It just like, yeah, it was very dark. And it, I didn't mean it. I, I kind of meant it to be on that level, but not as dark as everyone took it. Um, I kind of wanted to break the barrier of of what I was doing on the first album because I I went I said you know what I want to go take a picture and stick my head out the dirt and I wanted to rep, you know I wanted to copy the Funkadelic album and that's just what happened. So did you do the art direction on that? I mean, who did that? Because that was one of my questions tonight. Like that album cover in the time when classic album covers were happening I mean that was it that that was so specific at a particular time in hip hop it, it just resonates with everybody and it's a classic cover so like were you the one who wanted that that was my whole idea Make everything I told him I wanted yeah. to be buried alive I didn't want no you know no uh, no far as anything like uh, in post or anything I didn't I, I wanted everything to be live I got buried alive in Jersey City and we took that uh, we took that shot and made it for the album, man. And um, I, even even the even the uh, electric wires, the electric poles that's in the back of it. I said I want a place where I can see electricity and poles, and I want to be buried. And and this photographer found the perfect spot and buried me and everything, man. And it came out fabulous. It was it was at the end of the album where I noticed I was like, damn. I guess I guess after, after my first album, I was so cocky and confident. Mm. Like, you know what? I know E is working on uh, other shit, and let me see if I could do most of the production on my album. And I started going in, and at the end of the album, it was like, you know, all right, maybe I shouldn't have did made most of the album myself or whatever, and all this, and but it, it worked out. I still think it's the best production that you've. Had I mean it's it's a different vibe. I mean other stuff got a little more high tempo and, and upbeat, but it, I just still think that record was was monumental, man, in your career. Wow, man! You know what? I, what I found out is a lot of women. That's a lot of women' favorite album, and I'll be like, "Wow, y'all are really weird ass women." Yes. <laughs> yeah, freaky. <laughs> a lot of, yes, I'm like fuck. That they brought that maggot brain vibe back. Oh yeah. Where was that actually shot? And what, who was the photographer on that? I can't tell you the photographer, but I can tell you that we shot that in Jersey City. All right. I guess 78 or something like that. Off some road around there where we just found a lot of electrical lines and we just shot for it, man. And it came out exactly how I wanted it. Let me ask you this. Was, was Funkorama supposed to be on that album or is that just a Lucy that you guys put on, on Eric's compilation? My funk prognosis make my praise come and post 100% funk runs blood strays through your nose And I have to be Madonna to make your eyes freeze Visees for eyes when you smoke the Thai weed For this, you need a journalist, scientist Keep your eye in this funk cosmical, far from logical I blow the spot up in any hood and bullocks Make the bully of the block move and get new locks that was a Lucy for Eric's compilation. Because that's another fucking fantastic song. I'm, look, when you guys work together, it is magic. I mean, you're like the Stockton Malone or whatever cliche Absolutely. analogy you yes. want to say. But And he agreed. When we had him on uh, a month or two ago, he, he said, like, you, you guys bring out the best in one another. So I, I'm happy to hear, after the interview, by the way, 
it seemed to spark some momentum where it led you guys back together. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to hear that you guys are, are, are in that direction of making music again, because as a hip hop fan and, 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 uh, you know, as someone who grew up, I, I don't want to keep saying growing up. Cause I sound, I make you sound old as fuck when I say I grew up on you. Cause you must man, feel no, like, man. It's respected, <laughs> man. Fuck that. you know, I'm but it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really cool and rewarding to see that shit happen in, in, in this day and age. So uh, let's go to Muddy Waters, where you feel like you now made it officially. And, and a lot of people consider this your best album, your, you know, whatever you want to say. I mean, but Muddy Waters, this is when you had you had a lot of singles and it, it felt like you had a lot more of that Def Jam push. You know, I don't know if the other albums had the same push behind it as this album. Is that true? Yes, um, that Muddy Waters album was kind of a, an, an enlightenment out of There's uh, the Dark Side, I would say. Um, I saw more light. Um, I had more faith in myself. Um, picked my confidence way back up. Um, so on that note, as me feeling about Muddy Waters, it was my enlightenment album. Like, yes, I had more singles. It wasn't all just dark and, you know, I wanted to actually reach more of the world with that album with the music i was putting out i was like i want to reach a lot of the world i don't want to just stay in the states or just be boxed in boxed into a couple of cities or whatever so yeah it was a definitely an enlightenment on that note now far as def jam uh leo i tell you leo cohen will tell you to this day like i was the kind of artist where i just said y'all just leave me alone I'm going to just turn my album in. I don't need nobody coming in and checking. I always, always believe uh, when everyone is going left, I go right. When everyone go right, I go left. That's how my career was based on. I did the opposite of what everyone was doing. That's how I stay fresh. And Leo would tell you, he was like, man, at that time, he needed something. Because I guess at that time, it wasn't too much music blowing through Def Jam to, you know, to pay them bills. Or to to say, okay, we're putting out some great music. And they wanted me to change a couple of things on the album. Or they wanted me to do uh, a record with this person. Or they wanted, they was like, well, damn, you're a little bit, you know, you're talking about bitches and this and that on there. And and I was like, yeah, I know, I know. And now I know. And I said, trust me, just put the record out. And they put the record out, man. And it brought them so much money, man. It was like... Leo, I tell you, he said Redman saved Def Jam. And wow, that's crazy. That, he said the same thing yeah, that yeah. You, you saved Def Jam because they had obviously we know about the whole boom in the in the late '90s and whatnot. But you single handedly, oh, maybe along with Meth, you know, that's that's the other thing I want to touch on. But around that '94 '95 time is really when Def Jam started having this renaissance in the game again, and and it was definitely because of you guys. And they went nationwide from that point. The, the whole, you got, you and Meth obviously are like, you know, twins, literally. I mean, you guys, um, you have the best chemistry. You work, you work well together. You make great music together. But is that something that was organic or was that something the label kind of pushed to happen because you just happened to be on the same label at the same time making some noise? It was, it was, uh, honestly, I could say it was both. I mean, honestly, I got to commend Def Jam for that move because, you know, at that time, me and Meth was putting out material and 
it was kind of Def Jam saying, you know what, let's put these guys on the road. Let's let's put them on the road and, and make the a uh, big promotion, Month of the Man. Mm, and that was the that. Month yep. of the Man. That was one of the most uh I guess well known promotions in hip hop. I remember the, the ad in the source the magazine. The yeah, in the source. I totally remember that. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it was it happened business wise through Def Jam, but organically it happened with Red and Meth individual. We knew that we was on a roll but the thing about it is that we didn't look at it. It was, was like, wow, why they put me on the road with this nigga? Why they put, why he, you know, or vice versa. It was like, okay, we on the road because we have the same kind of feel and and maybe I can help introduce and, you know, we can, you know, vice versa. But at the end of the day, we didn't look at it as a negative. We looked at it as a plus. Mm-hmm. And I immediately pulled out some beats and just offered like, yo, let's rock. You know, put him on. I put him on a tape deck. He, I, he sings because every time when we roll together, I'm the music man. I put the music on or whatever or whatever. We listen to, you know, shit that everyone can, you know, vibe to, whether it's beats or old school, whatever. I'm like kind of the DJ. So when we was riding in the vans, you know, at that time, doing promotion, that's real promotion. Um, we had like some songs written. That's how I can say like really... Uh, how the Red and Meth brand came about was from us being on the road when Def Jam put us there. They they placed that they placed that scene. I would say they they mapped out that scene for us for us to be on the road. It was up to us organically yeah. to make the Red and Meth brand happen. And because it could have went another way, it could have went like, all right, I ain't fucking with this nigga, or I ain't fucking with this nigga, and we could have just went on about our business after that that uh, that promo tour. But after that promo tour, I threw them beats on and we literally connected through the music organically. And we came back home, you know, like real good friends and ready to say, you know what, let's do an album. Yeah. Now, listen, you were you were really at Def Jam at a real special time. They were definitely the you were there at the golden era of, of Def Jam's height. Everyone that we've had on that was on Def Jam on this show has a Leor Cohen story. And those stories actually become the gold that we try to harvest. I mean, do you have one particular Leor Cohen story? Because I know Leor is a, is a character in his, in his own right, you know? Oh, man, shit. That's something I got to think about. A Leor Cohen story? Um... <laughs> You going to pick up oh, your food, huh? <laughs> what, what are you going? Fucking dancing in the house club? You getting some Jamaican. Hey, what's up, girl? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll be right here. So Redman is going into a hip house club from the nineties and he's getting some jerk chicken from the back door. I thought you were eating healthy. Like, what are you doing? House you. You in my hut now. Uh, no, no, I had to that's that's where I'm getting my food from. Um my favorite Leo story, what do I what like Leon, I don't know. You know, really, I only thing I can just remember. Do you want me to do the accent just to jog your memory? Redman, what is going on right here? Redman, what is doing? <laughs> You're making him sound Indian. Well, he kind of has like no, that he's Israeli, Israeli vibes. <laughs> Shit. You know what? I can I, I can honestly say about Leon, man, is you know, like Leon, Leon confidence and Leon way of thinking is what kind of 
left me impressed. Like, I couldn't really think of a funny Leo moment right now that said Leo did this, Leo did that. But what I can say is, like, even what I told y'all about that Def Jam, me saving Def Jam shit, um, I can remember, like, him telling me and, and giving me giving me the ball, like, you know, Reggie, you know, we we, we trust you, Reggie. We, we trusted you on this album. We trusted you, with, you know, doing what you wanted to do, and you came... You came with it. You brought it. You, I mean, he was—he was like that coach that a person needs, like in life. He was like Nick and, in the corner with Rocky. Yeah, he was—he was like that coach, and his words and the way he talked was so distinctive that I just remember him giving me nothing but inspiration every time that I talked to him. You smelled—you smelled the money. Yes, man. Like when. <laughs> bottom line is that. He knew about making money, but he knew about building an artist. And I can remember distinctively one conversation he had with me, man. He said, he said, you know, Def Jam up here, what I do, Reggie, this is what I like to do. He said, we're the guys. He said, other labels, he said, other labels, they just, they are just the car ready to roll. We're, we're the guys under the car making that motherfucker roll. We build it. We build artists over here. They knew how to build artists. And he was confident and cocky and loved that Def Jam was on that kind of a trend to build the artists and say, we built this and we put this out for show. Because remember, everyone wanted to be like Def Jam back in the day. Mm -hmm. Everybody wanted to be like a Def Jam back in the day. And just his words of confidence and wisdom is what really... uh. I can remember about Leo, man. And as a coach, that's how you get everybody on your team. That's that's how you do it. Yep. Yes, man. Like like this guy, man. I mean, I, I I never have nothing bad to say about Leo ever. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he was smart enough to give you the freedom too. Yes, smart enough to give me the freedom, and because he will let you know when you fucking up too. He will let you know when that's not the one. Or okay, we tried that. We're going to try this way. He he will definitely let you know. And one thing I could say, he will speak his mind. And it might sound harsh, and it and it and it might not resonate good with you, but he he didn't bite his tongue. And at the end of the day, you understood the the reason why. Hold on a minute. How much are you? How much for order of ribs? Hey, what's up, girl? <laughs> <laughs> Gang shoulder. All right, yeah, what's good, bro? All right. How you feeling, brother? I'm good, man. All right. She looking good. Thank you, brother. Do you have anonymity uh, anymore, brother? Yeah, man. Motherfuckers, man. Shit. They see me on the phone. But I'll say that again, boss. I said, do you have anonymity anymore? Can you walk into a spot and people don't know who you are? Um, yeah, when I'm in Cali, in, in some, like, little parts out there, that's why I like going to Cali, because I could go around Cali out there and hold on for me. This is the best part of the interview. Oh, oh that's the sound. Okay, yo, and I caught, like, I think I called, like, Friday, y'all be busy yourself on a Saturday, right? Yeah. Okay. Because I was calling, like, like, a hundred times one night. That's good. Call me tonight, I know. Can you take my shit and send me your, um... <laughs> Is he picking her up? I think he's picking her up. Yeah, because yo, I was calling mad times one night. I wanted to reach. Okay, cool. What is? 
One, why she gave you the number, she gave it out to all of our listeners, so we appreciate that. <laughs> Two, what's her physical degree? What does she look like? Um, no, she's cool as hell, man. She's uh nice, uh little thick. Okay. Um, she worked for my boy restaurant. Uh, my boy, uh, it's, it's in Staten Island, too, right? Not too far from the um, park here where we're from. You okay. know, I still be in the hood and shit, so it's called the Craft House. All right. You ever out in Staten Island? Never. Come out to the Craft House. My guy, uh, Quan, he actually has, makes his own beer in Quan. the back. I know a Quan who used to, be, who used to fuck around with uh, King Just back in the day. I don't know if it's the same dude. Maybe it is. He, he was from part, uh, Stapleton, actually. That's out there. Yeah, he, he, used, he used to be a part of, I guess, the... Uh, Grain, oh, GP Wu. It totally is. Yes. It totally is. He, okay, so you might run into, you might See. know who I'm talking about and shit, but Quan, yeah, he got his own, it's called a craft house. Okay. Got some bomb ass food here. What'd you order? I ordered some fish, some um, a Jamaican salad, and some corn in the cob. Uh, uh, happy belated, by the way. April. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. 17th? Thank you. 17th or 18th? 17th. The 17th of April. Okay, I'm April 10th. So, uh. Oh, nice. Aries in the building. Aries in the motherfucking house. Yeah, you're you're on my mom's birthday, the 17th. Reggie, I want to know if you still have the house from Cribs. I said, I'm going back there now. <sighs> Excellent. Yes. Do you still have that dollar box, too? Yes, my shit is official. That I still was, have it right there. That was the greatest moment on MTV history. Ever. 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 I'm sure you've heard this plenty, right? Yes, because I went against the grain. Did you ever fix that doorbell? Do you still have Absolutely a dollar box? Not, because no one comes to my house. <laughs> there's, not, there's not dude sleeping on the floor anymore, huh? You have a few dollar boxes by now, though. I was going to say, is there still a oh, dollar yeah. box on top of the fridge? I, I got a gang of dollar boxes, and my fat-ass cousin that was sleeping on the floor, he'd be on a roll with me. Actually, that's how I introduce him. I'd be like, anybody seen MTV Cribs? They'd be like, yeah. I'm saying, I'm about to bring my fat ass cousin out that was sleeping on the floor. He go by the name of Mr. Cream. Put your hands together for Mr. Cream. He come out there and do his thing. I'm surprised he didn't get a record deal. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned Cali earlier, right? When you were talking about places you can go. Um, so bringing it back to Cali, and, and I'm thinking that's where it, it was recorded. When you did that track with Tupac and Meth, I'm, I'm assuming you guys went out to the Death Row Studios. No, that right? was that was that wasn't done in the studio. That was oh, pieced together. It was. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that was pieced it together. Was, it was pieced together. We uh like uh you know long story short we, we out there we went to Dad's crib. Me and Meth went to Dad's crib. Matter of fact, me, Meth, and Inspector Deck went to Dad's crib to do okay. that record. And uh and we did that record for the for the dog pound for Dad shit and. It ended up on Tupac joint. We was like, what? Okay. But then again, he wasn't mad at it. We was like, fuck that. We we, we on Tupac shit. But then again, at the end of the record, it didn't have Inspector Jack on it. It just said, yeah, INS yeah. the Rebel. Yeah, 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 that's right. But Daz left it in because I think Suge wanted that shit, or, or Pac may have wanted that shit off because he was like, who, who the fuck is that? Yeah, I don't want that on all my shit. But, but Probably. Daz left it in. And, and the original version that that is now on the internet, obviously, for people to listen to. 
Deck is dope. I don't know why he yeah, wants kept Deck. Anytime in. Deck is a guest on a song, he kills it. Anytime. Deck is fucking fire. Deck be having bars. I mean, my, my favorite deck is Above the Clouds. You can't top that as a guest shot. Truly. Deck it have, be having bars. All right, so my so my question on nosedive because I was gonna ask you what it was like to meet Tupac, but I guess that never actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, they 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 well, met. Well, sure, I'm sure they met, but yeah, I was asking about a picture like of Pac, well, I was gonna Biggie say, and Redman. I was gonna say what it, what was it like in the studio doing that song together, but that obviously wasn't the case. For no, they, they they pieced that together. That was that's all. Yeah, yeah they pieced. Yeah. But I know I know meeting Pac a couple of times. Like Pac was uh, Pac had an aura with him, man. He had that energy with him. He had that light over him, man. And this confidence level was way the fuck up, man. Like, I never had nothing sick, bad to say about Pac. And he definitely ain't never had nothing bad to say about me right. at, at all, either. That's what I loved about you guys back then. Like, like you, Matt, you know, the Woo, everybody. They, they weren't part of that fucking bullshit East-West beef. You guys just made dope music. Well, they, they, loved, the, they loved the culture. And, right. And, and it, was, it was awesome. I don't want to revert back to, to Lior, but this goes to the, the whole point of being brutally honest. Was there one particular album that you did for Def Jam, whether it's Lior, Kevin, whoever, where they're like, nah, man, this is not this is not the Red Man we know. Maybe you need to go back and tweak it. Was there one album that you did for them? I, I, what was your last album for them? Malpractice? My, my last album was, I think, like when all of them was up there was Malpractice. And then I just dropped a quick album to get off of there called Reggie, I think, just to get off of there. Okay. Because I owed them one album. But honestly, no. Because like like I said, when I when I had the the faith, when they had the faith in me, well, the Muddy Waters album no. was kind of where they was like, you know what, yeah, we, we looking for and I was like, nah, nah. I said, I see what y'all got going on, just drop it. Muddy Waters was kind of my test album where they was like, you know, maybe we should get you in, you do a single with so-and-so or something. And I was like, no. And that's when I dropped Muddy Waters. They dropped it anyway. Me and Eric was very confident because they had to believe they was, if they were saying no to me, they were saying no to E too. Yeah. And yeah. me and E wasn't having that shit. We was like, just drop the fucking And they dropped it and magic happened. And then... And then they gave me the ball. They said, like, okay, this kid know what he's doing. And then I came back with, with Doc's the name. And then I went platinum on that one with a single I did. And they was like, oh, okay, we was all right. What the fuck? We should have been shutting up on Muddy Water. Oh, shit. <laughs> shutting up on Muddy Water. And, and, and then after that, they just let me run with it. They just let me run. They just let me run. They didn't have no more, no, no more doubts. They was like, okay, this kid know what he's doing. Obviously, you left the label. You gave one more album. What was the reasoning for you leaving Def Jam? Because at, at that time, Def Jam was very prominent. You had, you know, I mean, I don't even tell you, Ja Rule and DMX and and, and the wave of, of hip-hop, you know, the whole survival of the fittest shit. You were in a video game, man. Yeah, you were fucking, you were one of the best ones in that video game. Here at the junkyard, only official bloodlines will be recognized. You think you got what it takes? Y'all about to see this dude catch a bad one, baby. 
I didn't leave Def Jam to after, like way after the fact, after the, you know, because I was up there during, you know, the the Rockefeller movement coming up there. That's how we had the Hard Knock Life Tour going yep. on. And yeah, that was a very prominent time. We didn't leave to after all that ended. Like, I didn't leave Def Jam to after Jay-Z left as being president. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. I th- for some reason, I, I thought you left earlier uh, no, than that. No, 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 no. We was up there ever since. Uh, Jay-Z was up there being, you know, foreign CEO up there, man. Like, it was after Jay-Z left when we was like, you know what? We're going to get from up here because they ganging. They didn't have no re- more respect for the 90s artists, I felt. Yeah. Because it was, they was... I remember what... I remember what, what kind of made me say, you know what? I'm getting the fuck from off of here. Mm. Um, it's when they had me, Ghostface... And someone else, like three, four of 90 artists coming out in one month in December. I'm like, how the fuck they going to promote all of us at one time like that and then give, you know, some of these new artists, the sounding artists, they hold full spread and everything. I was like, no, okay, they just making way for us right now. They just giving us a little bit of crumbs and, you know, for us to work right now. And we knew that was the itch. That was it. That's why you seen Ghost left and... Everybody left after that, man. It was, and I tried to give it one more chance. Like with Jay up there, I was like, you know what? But Jay can't mend what's already been broken up here. End of an era for sure. But let me ask you a quick question. You work with a lot of iconic people, people who really have changed the face of hip hop. Who is the one person that you've worked with or has influenced you in a direction that just, you know, brought it full circle and, and, and almost redefined Redman. Oh, that's a good question. Who, who is it that I work with? Work with or who has redefined you as the artist of Redman, you know, because you've gone through your own, you know, your own nucleus. You, you've gone through your own. You try to do your own thing. You do did a lot of your early production. You've got got kind of that accolade when you went into Hollywood slightly and you were you're doing a little more commercial stuff but who's that one artist that brought you to that place that just catapulted you just that extra bit that you know made you feel like you know this is like a rebirth of red man this is like where I'm at um I wouldn't say it was like a rebirth of red man thing but I would I would say it was a good battery and that has to be my boy mess. Like me and him work together so well that when me we when we in the studio and we doing music we don't give a fuck about what's going on who's the hottest nigga and it feels so good because you got a partner that you can conquer the world with and knowing you two got us we we have a cult that, you know, once we put our shit out, we know we good to go on a roll for nine months out this year if we wanted to. Um, and, and, and and not only that, but be respected as, as an entity. Like, for example, like, it is hard for an artist to go do movies, do a TV show, and still come back and do music and still be respected. It is hard. It is hard. A lot of artists can't go do a movie, TV show, and then come back and be like, oh, them niggas ain't real no more. We still had that. And I, I think it because of our aura and 
and our placement in hip hop in the earlier days, that we had that balance, that we we not only attract the black culture, we attracted the white culture, Spanish culture, Asian culture, all is one. Um, and that kind of confidence when you're doing music with someone can give you an extra battery in your back with all your music, with anything else. So it, it, I definitely have to say my boy Meth, um, just helping me see another entity of besides a red man career. We have a red man career, a meth career, and a red and meth career. It don't come, it don't coincide, and you can't pay for that. You cannot pay for that. And one thing that we we uh, that we have that unspoken is the respect and the loyalty of the brand and and also overcoming the 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 pros and cons of being a group because there's never no animosity which breaks groups up there's never no money problems what breaks groups up um this person is getting more than me i don't want to be a part of the group we had none of that i mean not one day of it not one second of it we might meth might say i might not like this tour bus well i don't i don't like coming over here to do this show with these people but it was never like, I don't never like coming to do a show with these people with red men. We never had that. We always stuck together no matter what platform we were, were in, whether it was movies, whether it was uh, music, whether it was doing, having our own sneaker, we stuck to it and we just rolled with it without all the pros and cons of breaking up as a group. And I think that kind of confidence and that kind of trust in a person will help you go far, man. And I, I can honestly say that gave me extra battery. You uh, you you both feed off one another. And I think from an outsider looking in, I think initially when you guys got together, Method was like this rookie of the year. He was like the young guy with the buzz. And you were the guy who, was already, who, who already did it. And what happened was you elevated his pen game because he was fucking with Redman now. You know what I'm saying? And at the same time, he kept you sharp and elevated your game so you don't slip. He had that voice. Well, no, not so much the voice. It was it was the fact that, look, I got to keep up. That You both were competitive, but not in a way where you were trying to pretty much outdo one another in that sense. But you were just making each other sharp, sharper, you know? You, you yeah. kept one another honest, and, and it elevated his game, and I think it kept you consistent, which is why you've been so consistent throughout your entire career. You know, no one's going to say, oh, Redman fell off. He, he's not lyrical anymore. No, you've been consistent. You've always been aligned with great rappers or great producers that have done that for you. So it goes back to Def Jam, whoever, you know, spearheaded that shit with putting you guys together, but... Look how that brand in 2019 still exists. You you can't say that about many people to get you know in hip hop. You hit it right on that. You hit it right You're on damn the damn right I baby. did. That's what I do. Let me <laughs> let, let me ask you this question. One of the fucking greatest collabos for me is the joint you did with MC8. Nothing but a gangster. With who? With MC8. Oh wait. 
You Spice One and MC Eight. I mean, I, there's you, and that's the other thing. Man, it sounds like I'm blowing you right now in the air. Check it out. Oh my God, I destroy cities like the blob. Dropping chunks of fuck and a blast of from here to Cape Cod. Fuck a job. My organization runs like the mob. The original dope ex flex. Red man, bitch, you better act some bond. Program to snap from here to Japan with jazz. I'm from the Jersey section and I keep it real for 94 and I can't march on spot. Bitch, your dub sex, I die sex. But a pack of nine that in the cops still don't know what mine's at. Black. Oh, I snatch the beauty from the beast. It's the fuck deceased nigga coming through, bitch. So grab your head, please. I got the gangster in me, plus I'm not friendly to a bitch ass who got was more laughs than the end. Now let me spice the truck up. MC8 class the bone so I can get lifted. And the head can get flowing and falls past the biscuit. I drop the folk and drop a body to show I'm serious. The gangster means a loud nothing from New Jersey, period. Every fucking West Coast collabo that you do, whether it's Cypress, it's, it feels right. Like you are, you are that East Coast guy that just fits right in with their sound, and not not a lot of people can 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 adjust like that. But you always feel comfortable. Like I said, whether it's Cypress Hill or even this MCA track I'm I'm referencing, it just always feels right. It's that funk. Now, you feel right on the fucking SWV song, "Lose My Cool." You know what I'm saying? You 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 just know how to adjust to to the environment you're in. You know what? Because a lot of West Coast dudes were on funk. Yeah. And not too many people was fucking with funk on the East Coast like he was. And like even with EPMD, like a lot of people from the West Coast thought EPMD was a West Coast West Coast artist. EPMD used to do more shows in Compton and the West Coast back in the 80s at the end of the 80s in the beginning of the 90s than they did on the West Coast. I mean, than they did on the East Coast. They did more shows on the West Coast damn near than they did on the East Coast. And I like that uh, that that uh, that platform that they painted for us. Like, we can go on the West Coast and get money, fellas. Why not take advantage of it? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got holler that for, like, from a lot of West Coast artists, like, to do a song and be on the... And, and for me to adapt... It was kind of easy because I never looked at it as I'm doing a song with a West Coast artist. I just looked at it, I'm doing a song with MC8. So I always just stuck right to the program and it never phased me of the coast of or how I had to write it or how I had to, you know, how I had to format my shit or what I had to say because I was doing a song with a West Coast artist. No, they accepted me because of who I am and of Redman and my brand and what I would bring to the table. So it was always a good match. And plus, when I'm doing, a, when I'm on a feature with somebody, I'm making sure that I'm heard and I'm bodying that shit regardless. That's why they ask you to be on it. When you hop in the car, what's your favorite West Coast stuff to listen to? Um, When I hop in the car, I'm listening to the Dog Pound. Cube. I'm listening to DJ Quick. Yes. Um, definitely DJ Quick earlier shit. He's another nigga that motherfuckers need to know. Yeah, that's true. Like I don't think I did a record with Quick yet. I don't. But think... I want to, and I am. You need um, to. You need to. Yeah, E's worked with him. I'm sure that could happen. I mean, yeah, that's no, Quick is my nigga. I can I can jump on something with him. I don't want to get emotional, Red, but I, I do have to say something to you, man, because I still think lyrically 
You are a motherfucker that can tear shit up like no one else. You just got this thing. And no, I'm I'm about to get emotional, man, because I've been in this shit too long and you mean too much to me. We had Eric Sermon on and I said the same question to Eric. And I said, you know, Redman is the fucking greatest lyricist. He has the delivery like no one else. And we all just kind of talked. And we came to a consensus. And that is that when you work with Eric Sermon, there is just this thing. I think Eric Sermon brings out, there's like a frustration in it. And it brings out the best shit in both of you. And we have to make this happen. I I want you guys to come back together. They are. Uh, Listen, it's like he's ready for it. You're ready for it. I know that it's happening, but like... I, that that frustration that 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 brings in that special element. What do you? I mean, where are you at with that? First of all, Eric Sermon is one of the reasons I do what I do, and I lived with Eric Sermon when I first got on, and we lived together for four years of my career before I came out with my like until like my third album is when I kind of moved out or whatever. And um, but I've been living with E. He helped mold me of who I am. Um, me and E, we never stopped working together. We just went on and grew up as men. As far as me working with Eric Sermon under the wing, I'll, I'm I'm down to do that and I will do that. It was just at one point where he didn't have confidence in himself. Hmm. And he had to go through, because when the new music started coming in, in the early 2000s, you can act E, you can act. I said, listen, y'all, this new music is coming in. Let's start establishing. Let's start taking what's ours right now. Right now. And I was so big on teamwork and working as a team. And fat ass E would tell you, because that's my <laughs> big brother. That's my big brother. E has a problem with communicating. E has a problem with picking up that goddamn phone. Like, I, like sometimes I couldn't get the E after six or seven months. And that's one, one phone call. And, and anybody out the crew, it ain't just me, you can add anybody out the crew. E had a problem with picking up that phone. And picking up that phone and communicating with your crew and is, 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 valuable to any business you're my big brother but we have a business going on and sometimes that shit can get tiring i mean i'm just telling it like it is because he know i love him that's my big brother i pull a gun for my brother no one fucks with e when i'm around but at that time he wasn't picking up that phone and being confident as a leader like yo this is what we're gonna do y'all fuck that we're going to go here. We're going to stir this up. We had Rockwaller on deck. Rockwaller and everyone was on deck. We was looking for E for be that man to step up. Like, yo, you got the death squad. You know me and Keith is on point. At that time, in the early 2000s, it wasn't no communication. Do you think he just got too much into the Atlanta sound? I, I mean, as a, as a producer, question. you know what I mean? Do you think he just kind of got into that too much? The R&B. Because he was making a lot of money from that. And that changes people. Well, the thing is, 
you can go you can make a lot of money from other things but if you still have a crew that depend on you and you depend on them let's make that pot bigger so whatever you're doing over here can be even grand and just at that time he wasn't being communicative I know he wasn't being communicative with me and it got to a point where I was like you know what maybe this is a call for me to just stand up and just start doing shit on my own and getting it done because I have to think you know maybe people don't want because I was still I'm still hungry now like I'm I used to tell them I'm like no look I seen the new wave I was I was down in Miami Scott Scorch with Scott Storch and when he had the little apartment I was staying with Scott Storch every time I go down there two weeks at a time we just do music and I seen how he was coming up and how Baby and them would started coming in the game and cash money and I seen it I was like there's something about to go on that we need to establish what we have over here and I wanted E to be in that foreground I wanted E to be in there like alright yeah you know Eric from doing my shit maybe y'all could get a track from E Sermon maybe y'all could get some work for E Sermon and we just building as a team staying relevant and at that time he was going through a lot of shit you know he had the thing where he went out the window thing and you know it was just a lot of things going on with he that I had to you know what maybe this is a call for me to just stand up and do things on my own to get shit done and I had to do it because if I hadn't I'd have been kind of if I had waited on E not and not stepped up then all the shit that I've been trying to work for till now that kept me relevant I wouldn't have been here you know um but at the end of the day, I could say like maybe five, four years ago, he started picking up the pace on himself. Mm-hmm. He started getting himself back here more mentally because it was, I would still push him, but it was to a point, you know, he would say, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this no more. I don't, I want to do this. And I want to do, I was like, okay, I, this music still opens doors though. Yeah. It still opens doors and it opens opportunities for you to, to go venture on different business, uh, you know, uh, ventures and stuff like that through the music. But I could say literally up to four years ago, I see a big change in E wanting it, getting back into the groove. And when you talk to him again, he'll tell you, he'll tell you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you both together on a phone call. We got to make that happen. We would have. He, he's in Africa tonight. Otherwise, we would have made that happen. I asked E when we had him on the phone. Who do you think jumped out the window better, him or Omar from The Wire? (laughs) Yo, you wowed out with that one. Uh, It's all love, man. It's all love. Look, everybody goes through their shit. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're you're Havoc and Prodigy, if you're Fife and Tip. Everybody, everybody goes through their shit. And and the fact that you guys are are working towards making something again, that's really all that matters. So what, what transpired in the past... You know, E, you, it doesn't matter, man. It, it's now. That's right. You know? It's understanding. Like like I said, I had to understand. Like, he is a, he is big bro. He put in a lot of work in the game. Maybe he wanted to chill. Yeah. You know, sometimes my mother say, you can want more for somebody than they want for themselves. And I had to understand. Like, he, he, even when I seen him recently, maybe four months ago, you know, he was showing, you know, I know the studio and everything. He said, Red, this is what I, you know, this is what I like to do. I like to let the youngins come in here and work. 
I might come in here and do a beat once a week or whatever. And, you know, this is just where I'm at. And I've seen his comfortability in life. One thing I can say is, is that he kept his comfortability. I mean, whether it wasn't reaching out to us being communicative as a team, but he kept his comfortability. And if he don't want to do something, he's not going to do it just to save his comfortability. Because, you know, he went through a lot, man. Like he went through a lot of changes and, you know, far as with the mind and, you know, and, you know, getting himself together. And I had to understand that as a person. And now that I'm more conscious of who I am, because I'm just a work, I'm just a workaholic. I could be in a studio 22 hours, wouldn't give a fuck. Hmm. But is, is that good for me? Am I touching my inner soul? Am I, am I, am I, am I reaching my, my goals, not just through business, but as for me, is it really making me happy at the end of the day? I just say, yeah, I'm, I was working my ass off, but that's it. I was working my ass off. We all have like, different paths though with it, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's like, even now that I'm getting older, I'm like, okay, I understand. I understand now. I'm not going to do certain things because I got to pay these bills or I got to make this money. I'm going to be content with myself first. And then I'm going to be content with the business. So it was a good lesson learned. Hey, yo, Red, this is uh, Rhyme College here. I got a quick question for you. We live in this copycat era right now, but your voice, your pen, your delivery, it was so unique, even in such a creative era as the early 90s. I've always wondered, who were your writing influences, your rhyming influences? Uh, definitely Eminem. Hi. What? Um, Damn. What? On my early days? Your early yeah, days. Yeah, no, no, early, early days when oh, you first, when you you first came on the scene. Okay. Um, Ice Cube. Stay off his dick. Um, Bismarcky. <laughs> KRS-One and Slick Rick, number one and two. Only a few will what? understand. And EPND. And NWA as a group. Those are the elements that molded me. And yet your, st- your style was so different than theirs. That's what's crazy about that. I love that. I tell you what, man. When I first heard EPMD, you could ask my fat ass sister, which who I love so much. <laughs> I said, Peace to Roz. I said, Roz, I said, listen. I said, do you hear this album here? And it was their first album, Strictly Business. I said, do you hear this slow funk shit that they rhyming over? I said, this is me all day. I'm about to win. I'm about to go into the rap game. I said, write some rhymes and I'll DJ for you. This, this, let's do it. And she can vouch, she can, she can remember that day as clear as day as I can remember. And that's what gave me the battery in my back was EPMD out of everybody. I slip Rick and KRS-One, forget about it. KRS-One, I will put against anybody today. Today, mm-hmm. today so, he will. I, I, Terrence one, he's rhyming. Get him. He would tear him a new asshole. <laughs> he's the best on live the performer of all time. Still number uh, on the spot. On the spot. No going home and no going home and trying to find information on him or write something down about him. No, right there, right now. Freestyling too, right here. He was live freestyling on the, on this show, not not only uh, uh, about a year, a ago. year ago. 
I would love to ask you to freestyle, but I, I, I know that I'm overstepping. But like, he's eating his jerk chicken right yeah, now. Yeah, it's like be- with jerk chicken. Here we. I don't know. But no, he. he Man, I he, don't need to freestyle no more, and I wouldn't even play myself trying to freestyle no more because <laughs> it's just not in my blood to freestyle. But KRS One is just yeah. still in his blood. You, you can't can't be be ripping a mic the mic like Dore me me measles off contagious like my lyrical pages flipping flipping the mic. Let's do a quick round of, of, of your favorites. So people that always ask these questions in your arsenal and there's tons of fucking shit in your arsenal what's your favorite album that you've done my favorite album that i've done gun to head right now pick one okay um muddy waters Hmm. muddy waters before you get into the next thing what's your favorite album of all time and it doesn't have to be hip-hop good question favorite album of all time it gotta be America's Most or Niggas for Life by N.W.A. Mm, okay. Favorite collaboration that you've done? And you've done a lot. I know you smoke a hell of a lot of weed, so you probably don't remember. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? Let me hear your yeah, favorite. The energy on Ooh is untouchable. I think I love hearing you with Dayla. I love you with Tribe on, on and Buster. I think that was great, but... I don't know. Uh, again, it goes back to the MC8. Nothing but the gangster. I just, I, it was just maybe unexpected. And I, I, just the way you come out in that song. Oh my God! Yeah. I destroy cities like the. It blob. was like you know how Prodigy comes out with the fucking eight bars and he just kills it. Like that's how you came out in that song. Like you just set it off. Almost created your own hook within the song. Yeah, but that's me. One of my funnest features was the joint with Eminem. Okay, talk. Uh, you, you've been talking about Eminem a little bit. That like, was off the Nutty Professor soundtrack, right? Yes. Yes. Um, because that feature, I flew to Detroit to do, and just being up in the studio with him, and we actually planning on writing the record and getting the record done. It was just so much energy in that bitch, and so much, but good energy, good tension energy. Like, all right. You got one of the new cats that's on the scene and they got the G-Ump on the scene. Let's see what's going to happen. Mm. And we had so much, that it was so much invisible energy that you couldn't see that was just bumping into each other just around the studio room. And it was like, it was like he was writing in one room, I was writing in another room, but you could actually see the baby brainstorm of tornado turning in the room. <laughs> and, and if he got up in you know, and got some water or went to the bathroom and he seen me writing, he know, looking from the back of my head, the little brainstorm of tornado that was around my my note and pen pad and everything. So he knew I was coming for him. And he knew he was in the position to solidify himself by fucking with me on the record. And the balance of that record, of how we talked and how we rapped, it was, it was so fun, but it made so much sense of not either of us, excuse me, excuse me, either of us didn't compromise our style or what we said just because we was doing a record with each other. We kept it 100% us. And it was, it was, I remember us laying the, the lyrics down and actually listening to it at the end we were so satisfied and we was we were so we were so we were satisfied but we were also confident that 
there with a smile on our face like we did our thing we i i, I went against one of the young great ones and he went against the g great one mm. and we we were both satisfied of our delivery and our execution at the end of the song it was awesome and i, I think that's answer, one of my fun, fun moments here's a crazy question most wouldn't get this i just think because you started out as a dj which basically means you're a conductor you you kind of want to control everything, but that's your secret, not everyone else's. What's your favorite album cover of all time? Because y- you like to grab shit and and take from things that that affected you. So album covers. What album cover has affected you and like is like that one? Maggot brain. Well, we know that was a, an influence, but like there's got to be more. Um. That you're a digger, I'm sure, at one point in your life being a DJ. Was it a hip-hop cover or a rock and roll cover? I mean, where do you get, outside of funk, where where, where are you most likely to be uh, digging? Um, it was either funk or just some beats. It didn't matter. It could have been jazz. It could have been, uh, it could have been uh, a big orchestra. It didn't matter. If it had the sound, and I was able to listen to it right there in the record store, it didn't, it didn't really matter um the album cover that got me excited uh fucking question you assholes 24 <laughs> could have been 24 carat i mean there was a lot of black exploitation shit out there i mean you know i know you um, yeah i know you dig mm-hmm. um and it don't have to be just rap right no nah, anything we we would prefer it's not what album cover that i used to look at so much you know, Eric used to say his favorite record back in the day, believe it or not, was Blue Oyster Cult Godzilla. He said, I would hear that shit all the time, and I wanted to write a rap over that shit. And of course, a, a few people have, have sampled it through the years, but to me, that as a DJ, as a producer, that, that was like a tidbit that meant something to me because, you know, growing up through the 70s into the 80s, you know, we we were taking shit from places that there was no hip hop section. I mean, it was a very different era. We were grabbing, right. we created hip hop into what it was. Rock and roll was hip hop at that particular time. You just had some funky ass drummer that was doing shit differently. I mean, James Brown didn't necessarily start off the avenue. We were we were really digging, but that was his particular moment. He's like, yo, Godzilla was the shit. You know, Blue Oyster Cult had that sound. I, I would rhyme over that shit constantly and loop it. You know, other people have those particular memories. I just, I was just curious if you had one as well. I tell you what, it wasn't a, and I don't think I, I don't think I ever mentioned this. As a young kid, what sparked me with music, and I can remember this clear as fucking day, when I was like maybe nine or ten or eleven years old. I used to, you know, do you they remember the little, uh, they used to give the little record players in the box to kids, you know, the little plastic record players, you lift the lid up and they had the record player in there. If you, I mean, if you, I mean, I'm sure you're not as old as me, but it I was- think I old, old. Oh, he's old. I might be older, but go ahead. <laughs> he gets ARP in the mail. But, he's, he's definitely yeah, the old. Little, the little box record players they used to give the kids. Like, yeah, you know, you Fisher open Price. It up and, 
the little plastic little plastic. Or yeah, I remember it. Yes, um, I had one of those because I love music so much. I got two records. One record I heard. I was a yellow forty five, and I forgot the name of the label on it. But it was the. Uh, I I can see clearly now the rain, rain is gone. gone. Yeah. I, I used to have that song mm. on a record. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I can see all obstacles in my way. Have you ever seen uh, The Jerk? Steve Martin. Steve Martin, uh, of course. With Steve Martin. Yeah. Remember, he was laying in the bed and he turned on the radio and he, he wiggled said, his toes. Oh my God, what is this? Mm. This is out there. I want to go where this is at. He heard the music and he wanted to be. Well, that's how I felt when I first heard that record, the yellow record. Uh, I can see clearly now huh. the rain is gone. And then the break part when it went, look straight ahead, nothing but blue sky. And then it went on. <laughs> uh, and I used to play that part. 862 times a day. <laughs> and I said, I want to go where that melt Because it, it sounded so magical and it sounded so something that did, it, it did something to me as a kid where I wanted to be a part of music. And that's what sparked my music plug from that record, that yellow record. And it was another record called Pac-Man Fever. Pac-Man Fever, I remember that. I remember Pac-Man Fever. I remember that. Pac-Man Fever is driving me crazy. Yeah, I totally remember that. Bunch of old motherfuckers. So, Red, you know what the funny thing is? My man Aaron in the studio right now is holding up like a Kiss Destroyer record. Yeah, that's my favorite cover of all time. Do you remember that record cover? Like, were you like... Look, hip-hop didn't exist in the late 70s in that particular where you could have a record that defined something. Did you also understand, like, what was going on in pop culture as far as Kiss? and I mean, shit, we all put the makeup on for the uh, for Halloween and all that Speak shit. Speak for yourself, motherfucker. No, but <laughs> no, that was the dope era. cover. I, it's a dope cover, 76. I think, I think, I, I, it, didn't, it didn't really resonate that much in my neighborhood as far as Kiss. I, I wasn't on it that much. Um, everything I listened to was kind of, you know, what my pops played or had in his uh, arsenal. Um, but I can remember my favorite seeing favorite album cover of me seeing all the time, which I love, was that Jackson Five album. Mm, yeah, uh, he had with "Enjoy Yourself" on it. That was like one of my favorite covers, and that Jackson Five album. I mean, I played that shit until the fucking record just warped because I couldn't believe the music that they had on that album. It was kind of a, a feel good as the yellow record that I mentioned a little previously ago. And it had that kind of magic. Anything that was, that had that melody, that kind of, that kind of strings, that like when Enjoy Yourself, come on, uh, you know, bang, They had symphonies in that shit. And then, you know, Micah started singing. It was that kind of magic what I was looking for through music. And I was willing to go through all of his albums. 
all of them until I found pieces like that that I can play 800 times. Man, my dad had uh, Ohio players fire oh, together. Yeah? Well, when you had the naked woman on with like that leather the, bra, no, no, it was nah, the shit. She, she was wearing, she was naked and she was wearing the fire, the ah, fireman's yeah, hat. I love that. Red, real quick, you just, you just mentioned Steve Martin the jerk, okay? And as a fan of your music, I've, I've always viewed you as what 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 separated you from from the rest of the pack is you're funny, and you're always having fun, and it's genuine. You don't push it, you don't try too hard. It just comes naturally because you're natural. So, with that said, how how large of a role does comedy play, be it movies, be it stand-ups, in in driving your your writing? Maybe when you have some writer's block, you need to take a take a minute, watch a movie, watch a stand-up special. How much of an influence has comedy played in, in into your rap career throughout the years? Um, I think it's it's been always all the way through all my career because it it it, it will help me. It's what helps bring that balance mm-hmm. to my music. Um, I believe everyone has a story to tell. If you're from the hood, every nigga has a story to tell from the hood. Um, everyone has, you know, like. I looked at it as the point where, okay, there was a lot of guys and a lot of artists, excuse me, that was speaking consciously mm-hmm. about what's going on in our world. Um, from Chuck D to Public Enemy right, to like Karen's Native Tongues to, and everything. You know, the list goes on. Right. Um, I knew that I wanted to tap in to that a little bit, but not fully, mm-hmm. because I wanted to stand out as what I believe in. And I know my neighborhood, New Jersey, we rough as a motherfucker over there, but the, my crew, we like to have fun. We right. laughed a lot. And I embraced that part instead of all the dumb shit that I tried to do. Cause I couldn't hang with them. I immediately eliminated myself out the group of my brother, my brother and my crew that I used to hang with. They were very vicious. I mean, very vicious. Mm-hmm. And and I can and, and I can honestly say everyone out my crew from that time they did ten years and better, and 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 I knew that wasn't the role for me, and but I I always remembered regardless of what we did back then we laughed a lot, we joked a lot, and that's why I think that I brought I, that's why I think what people enjoy my music because they say, you know that goddamn red man, he hit on subjects that I ain't even, you know, like for for example, records, I'll be that. Like, I'll be that. Right. Like, you know, that's a saying from the hood. And you gotta be from the hood to understand it. I'll be that bitch. Uh, you, fuck <laughs> you, you ain't shit. Yeah, I'll be that bitch. And that's where I got it from. From, you know, being funny or a bitch saying something that we ain't like and, and, and we laughed about it. Yeah. So I think... It wasn't just from comedians because I didn't. I watched comedians, but I really didn't take anything from them. It was just the fun side of being in the hood is what I took. Right. I didn't want to just depress people with well, not depress people, but I wasn't that informant. I wasn't that political informant. I wasn't that you know urban informant of what the cops are doing and how the government is acting. I wasn't that guy. And I wasn't going to pretend to be that guy just to blend in. Right. You didn't force anything. It was all natural to you. And, and you know, you brought that comedic, uh, you know, 
from from your punchlines and your rhymes to just everything, man. You you can always see how much fun you're having, and and, and it's always been genuine. And I, I I appreciate that. Right. Quick question for you. Uh, well, not even not a question. I just wanted to know, uh, as Roger the announcer here, did you want us to give you uh, a, a minute to order breakfast? <laughs> Roger, that's some funny shit, bro. We want to put you back out on the street and talk to the girl who's fucking waiting on you. I love that shit. Let's 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 play a quick game of true or false before we wrap this up because you, you've been a, okay. you've been a lot of fun, man. All right, true or false? You lost your virginity to a Teddy Pendergrass record in the background. Uh, false. False. True or false? You are voting for Cory Booker this year. What is he? What is he running for governor? Right? No, nah, I. Newsflash: He's running for president. <laughs> he's running for president? Yes, sir. Oh shit! I gotta get out and vote. <laughs> nah. True. True or false? You created the term "brick city." Um, I was part of that. I could say true. Yes, I was part of that. Okay. I was part of that. Uh, bringing up. Yes. I mean, I heard it on the street. But I was the first one to kind of bring it to light. Mm. I'm going to deviate for a second because it's not true or false. But the funk Dr. Spock, where, when did that come about? Like, where does that notion in your head, like, you know what, I'm because you have a lot of aliases too. When did you think of that? And how did that even come about? Funk Dr. Spock, I don't know. It was, he, he was the funk, funk lord and he had, he had so many names, like the Green Eye Bandit. And I thought it was so cool that he had all these names and, you know, different, uh, you know, names people could call them by. So I was like, yo, I want a couple of names. And I just thought of Funk Dr. Spot. I thought of Dr. Spot from Star Trek. Yep. But it was, it wasn't Spock. It, it was Spot. And, and that was it. All right, true or false, you had the best <laughs> verse on the last Wu-Tang album. Ooh. Ooh. I like that. Ooh. <laughs> false. Mm-hmm. I, I believe my verse was hot, but I don't believe it was the best one on the whole album. But if y'all think so, thank you. Uh, we do. Well, look, yo, it's been an honor. It's been a, a, a privilege. You, you've been on the phone with us for over an hour and a half. You, you ate your jerk chicken. What did you get, by the way? We were all speculating. Oh, it's fish. That's right. Shit. You must have indigestion because you must have inhaled that food throughout the, the breaks. I ain't even get to taste the motherfucker. Oh, shit. I, I, Damn, I love you. Well, you know that. what? Let me pay for that shit. You know, you come here tomorrow. This is what I'm gonna do for you because you're, you're coming down to Miami or, or Fort Lauderdale. I would like to, I would like to get you an Asian escort, a steak dinner, and a nice pound of weed. Would you, would you be open to that? The Asian escort, I'm cool on. A pound <laughs> of weed, I ain't gonna bring you to bring on a plane. Nah. But a nice seafood dinner, I'm always good for that. All right. Well, you got my number. Text me when you land, and I will gladly get you. A nice steak and lobster dinner for the. So y'all coming to the show? I would certainly like to come to the show. What time are you getting on? I, I'm too old. I can't yeah. be doing this yeah, three we got o'clock family shit. shit. This is you know? difficult. I got like oh, baseball man, practice on, the man. next you ain't day. Never too old, man. Come out and have a good time. Shit, we probably on about like ten to eleven o'clock. Oh, let, no, wrapper time. That's like two thirty in the morning. Yeah, ten, 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 eleven is not happening. <laughs> But look, yeah, K- KRS One got us with that one. Yeah, KRS was like, "Yo, no problem. We'll be on like by 11. No, it was like, it was like three in the morning. Yeah. My wife is like, yeah, "What the? F- nah, let me nah. smell you real quick." And you out your fucking mind? Nah, when we say we getting on at 11, we on that bitch at 11. No bullshit. Well, you got to go to Cali. I can hit, you, you said, I can hit so. your phone and let you know exactly when we getting on, boss. Yeah, man. You know, and and I will. I don't know when you land, but I'll be more than happy to buy you a steak and lobster and all that good stuff because you've been a real gentleman and you've given us an hour and a half of your time and, and 
we can't thank you enough, man. Hey man, look, man, I want to come back on when I'm dropping the album, man, because my album, man, is gonna be damn right. Out. I want you to sleep in my house. I want. I feel like <laughs> you and I don't know one another, but I feel like I could call you brother Reggie. You know what I'm saying? I I just want to get high with you and watch fucking movies and listen to Van Halen together. Can we do that? Hey, give us an update on that real quick. I saw I saw on Instagram you're like, yo, I'm taking a breather off the grid. You got to get back to the album. What's going on with Money Waters Part Two? Um, Money Waters is is, is in the making. Uh. I got a lot of samples I got to pay for, and um, like you know, mentally, like I'm, I'm getting, like I'm going through a, a change in my life where I want better. This is what I'm and, hearing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and getting off, you know what? When I got off the grid, when I put that up, I ain't gonna lie. When I put up, I'm got off the grid, and not after I typed that in, I actually I got rid of the app as well. Like you know what? I don't even want to see the app on my phone because I might tap into it. Right. Like I swear, a second breath came back into my body. Yep. And and I was like, wow. Sometimes it took for me disconnect. to really not wake up in the morning and don't even pee first, but go right to the IG. Yeah. And I found myself doing that shit. And I was like, you know what? This is too much. I need to get my mental together and finish this album up. But you did like you did a freestyle on IG. It was I wanna say it was like six, eight months ago. And it was so fucking raw. It was unbelievable. And I even said that to Eric. I'm like, dude, he is on it. Something's he's fucking brewing, man. He's percolating. And Eric's like, I don't know. And I'm like, trust me, he's there. So I don't know. You did something on IG or something that was like fucking insane. Yeah, I always got some shit, some content that I can drop. And some of the content that I drop on there be like years old. Like it be like old content. That's the it's beautiful so thing. so fresh to the gram. Of course. So they be like, wow, I ain't even know he did that. Or I ain't never see this. So so even with now, while I'm taking a break off the grid, off the uh, uh, gram and other social media platforms is because I want to build some fresh content. I want to actually use my gram the right way. Even though I do use it, I help people. I like to help people. I like to make people laugh. But also, I need to build more business. I want to build more business to promote. I, I, I got a lot of directing I want to do. I want to direct some things that I can put on the gram to show my skills through there as well. So I had to just take a break and get me together. That's what that was all about. And it goes back to what I said earlier. You're so likable. You have this energy that's infectious that, that really... It makes people feel comfortable when they talk to you, when they listen to you, when they watch you on TV. So, again, I cannot thank you enough, Red Man. You, you this is this is a treat. I mean, we spoke to we spoke to KRS, we spoke to the greats, but you are right there among them. And from all of us, to take it personal. We cannot thank you enough, and thank you for giving us over ninety minutes of your time. That's crazy, you know. And, and and I know, I know. First of all, this show is influenced by guys like Stretch and Bob, like you mentioned, and of course, um, you know, uh, Reggie, which is, uh, you know, it, it's a shame that he's gone. And and I know uh, when I say Reggie, I'm talking about Combat Jack. Oh, I know oh, you. My God, I, I know, I know you. You always gave him acclimates for doing a great interview, and I really hope we did half of the job tonight because we had fun, and I hope you did too. And um, I did, I did, man, and I appreciate you. What I can appreciate about guys uh, like you guys, man, is that you know not only are you guys knowledgeable of what you're talking about, but you know it, it still feels good to an artist that. Especially of our, you know, of our stature, that we can still 
have exciting combos and still excite guys like you that love and have passion for this game y'all been in. And because and it, it feels like with the 90s, like when yeah. we're talking, this is how we did in the 90s. I'm going to cry. We laugh and we <laughs> I have think I'm going to cry. We talk about it. Sometimes we might jump off subject and say shit, but it wasn't judged. And I think, you know, the, you know, the, for example, like, like, I, like when I go do radio at Sirius, like when, if I have a project coming out or I did a, I did a, a TV show or whatever, and they want me to go promote at Sirius, you know, every artist got to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I go up there, like maybe this was like a year and a half ago, and I was doing a gang of interviews up there, and I go through there, and the young people, they don't know. Yep how we talk now like you know this what we how we talk tonight is is a, is a standard 90s feel talking this is how we talk face to face getting down to the nitty-gritty asking what we want without being judged um i went up there and did a gang of interviews and just my aura on how i walk in the room hey everybody what's going on yeah how you doing red man can we get you to yeah come on let's do this um yeah could you say so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. Oh, yeah, come on. And even my drops, the young people was like, wow, okay. And after I, overall, after I was done, uh, a couple of, you know, and these these uh, young guy people that I was working with, you know, females to males that was, you know, helping give the interviews and, you know, helping out with the, you know, with running the station. They was looking and noticing, and a lot of them came to me and was like, this is how y'all are? Like, this is how it was in the 90s? They was like, I wish I was born in the 90s. I wish I was born (laughs) in y'all era. Because we got to deal with these assholes now that come up here, the new guys, and they don't want to do shit. They don't want to talk. They don't want to be open. They don't want to, you know, they just wanted to say a couple of words and get the fuck on out of here. But they was like, damn, your aura, like, I, I wish I was born in a certain time where I could work for a company and see this actually happening. And I brought such a good feel and represented for our era so heavy to make young people want to not even be a part of this era. I'm going to flip it in another, in another direction, Redman. Check this out. Tonight, we weren't sure we were getting you, so we weren't necessarily prepared. But when truth speaks truth... We did the same thing with KRS. We had no questions. We had no shit prepared. We just understand each other because we're from the same world, man. We are just fucking kicking it, and that's what it's all about. Yup, and that, and that's and that's why, like, I, I'm sure I could speak for EKRS one, anybody in the game. That's why we appreciate guys like y'all, man. Like, I don't bullshit. Like, you know, you have a couple of guys like, yeah, I appreciate you. Okay, good night. No, I appreciate y'all. For, for having this knowledge and even tuning in and still wanting us on y'all platform because it still shows us that, yes, it's still 90s motherfuckers out. Matter of fact, we're the first, we're the first cool motherfuckers that's going to get old, older besides like Grandmaster Flash and them. And, and you know, they're going through their older old, old triple OG era right now. I'm in my double OG era right now. I'm in my double OG era in my in my late 40s right now. And it feels good that I can still relate and talk to guys that understand our era. It makes me feel good. 
It makes it gives me an extra battery in my back. Like, yeah, I got music to drop for people. Go. Oh, yo. This is amazing. I, I have you on a, on a lobster dinner tomorrow. Just keep it under two pounds. That's all I ask. I'm on a budget. Now, let's do three pound female. <laughs> three pound female. <laughs> Yo. Well, whatever, bro. Like, how I, long I'm you in? F- fuck with the lobster tails anyway. The lobster tails is good for me. Legendary. Yeah, man. Look, Reggie, I feel like I call you Uncle Reg or Cousin Reg. We're family right now after this 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 uh, interview. I appreciate it once again. Thank you so much for making this happen, for putting smiles on all all seven of our, our yeah, faces. Crazy. And our listeners are going to love this. And, uh, you know, when it drops out, we'll be more than happy to let you know all that good stuff. And, and keep doing what you're doing, man. You you are so consistent and you keep keep making people like us from the 90s believe that hip-hop can still be good and uh, you keep making us proud you're like fucking tom brady you know what i'm saying you're not stopping anytime soon so kudos to you and um you know when you land touch base hit me up i got you on that dinner man anytime y'all need an interview man please man shout shout me out man that's that's family i appreciate your guys man thank you a lot all right man you enjoy the night enjoy your dinner finally Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, boss. Y'all enjoy y'all night. All right, man. Be good. Peace. 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 All right, yo. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you motherfuckers are tuned in. And I hope you have a fat, blunt lit. Because right now, if you don't know what the fuck is about to go on right now, bitch, this is Take It Personal. With my boy, Full of Flavor, Kev Law, A. Aaron, Roger the Announcer, and... DJ 360 with his stinking ass. This is Take It Personal with Red Man, and we in the building, bitch! Music discussions and exclusive interviews with hip-hop's finest, here on Take It Personal Radio at TakeItPersonalRadio.com. Remember to catch up on all the latest episodes on TakeItPersonalRadio.com.